The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Come on, Jordan. Love it. So, a season-defining moment. Alison's winner in the dying seconds at the Hawthorns, about as dramatic as it comes. That's why it's such a brilliant game, isn't it? Still on a high and ready to uh, sing his praises. We have Simon Hughes, uh, Kiefer O'Neill and James Pearce. Uh, listeners of this podcast, The Red Agenda, can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. And for that, you get great analysis, in-depth features on Liverpool from James, Simon and Kiever. You're not going to find better coverage of the club anywhere else. And if you sign up today, you can read James's piece on Alisson's goal that rescued Liverpool at West Brom. So go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. So I've got to kick it off with the moment of the season. It's these sorts of moments that actually make the game so, so special. James, you saw it. Could, could you believe it? No, no, to be perfectly honest. I think it was one of those moments in football that it takes a few seconds, I think, for your brain to to just compute what your eyes have just seen. Because um, I think like, like everyone the Liverpool persuasion inside the Hawthorns, you, you thought that the chance had gone. It was you know, essentially Liverpool seconds away from being consigned to, to Europa League football next season. And then, yeah, and then Alison Becker pops up and does that. So um, it was just an unbelievable moment. Probably the, the best moment, I'd say, you know, following Liverpool since, since well, since probably Trent's corner against Barcelona when, when Origi scored, because, you know, it, it could prove to be almost as valuable as, as that moment, of course, you know, the, the real value of it won't be known for another week, really, until, you know, Liverpool have to go and make it count against Burnley and against Crystal Palace. But what a dramatic and absolutely sublime lifeline. I mean, you know, sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. You know, you know, was it 129 years of Liverpool Football Club? No goalkeepers ever scored a competitive goal. And then um, just when a season is on the line, Alisson pops up and, and, and delivers a moment I don't think any of us will ever forget. Yeah, Kiva, you put on your social media the best moment in football ever. <laughs> was it that emotional for you? It was. It was <laughs> the best goal I've ever seen in the history of football. It was the best goal of. It was a. It was a goal of the season, goal of the decade, goal of the bloody forever. It was honestly the best thing I've ever seen happen because I think the build up to it was just kind of like around the eighty minute mark. Everyone was like, "Well, that's it, done. Champions League dream, definitely, definitely over." And then there was a couple of chances and you just you just sort of, with Liverpool this season, you can sign yourself like, oh, West Brom are probably going to score late and, and win the game. And then Alisson just sort of like, he doesn't even sprint up. That's the best part of it. He just slowly jogs up like he doesn't need to be anywhere. He's just slowly jogging up and no one even bothers to like think. Usually when a goalkeeper runs up, it's like everyone wants to get, you know, the defenders want to get on him, but no one even touched him except for Nat Phillips because he tries to head every ball, no matter where he is on the pitch. It was just honestly brilliant. Like, 
I had to like run to my front door and just open it because it was just like all the energy in the house. I just needed to like get a bit of fresh air and sort of, I could hear sort of neighbours all over the place, you know, screams going off at different times because everyone's delayed. Um, no, it was just fantastic. Um, exactly what Liverpool have needed these few days, especially the massive victory over Man United. You know, we know there's still holes in that defence and things aren't perfect, but this is the Liverpool of old, winning games in such dramatic fashion. And, you know, it's just so Liverpool that, like, no one else on that pitch was going to score. So Alisson had to step up to the plate and it just, it was wonderful. And, yeah, I think we'll be we'll be talking about it. And I mean, we're all just smiling now, aren't we? Just reliving it because it's it just such a special moment. Moments like that, you don't come very often. It feels like almost like winning a final. That kind of like spectacular goal can make you feel this way. And we haven't felt that way, have we, all season? Because there's no fans, but it felt good. Yeah, I, t- I think as Kiva put it, Si, we all just thought he was going up to cause a bit of chaos. No, no one thought he was he was going to score. And without basing this all on social media, I think J- James wrote a line something about here comes Allison, and I think someone responded on his timeline, "What's the point in that?" or, or, or something like that. Didn't they? And that that probably summed it up at that moment. People were thinking, "Well, desperation stakes." If I'm honest, I, I saw him sort of lumbering forwards, lumbering. quite unco- quite quite unconvincingly. <laughs> And I, I, I did think, what are you doing? Because if, if West Brom were to score from a, a breakaway and, and score that, would be Liverpool out of the Champions League 100%. Whereas even with the points, there was a chance that Liverpool win on Wednesday against Burnley, Leicester lose, and then you take it to the final day. And it would have been interesting to see Leicester having to make sure that they don't lose on the final day. I know possibly quite a remote chance of that happening, but there was still a chance Liverpool could qualify but obviously you know they, they were putting a lot on the line by sending them forward because in an alternative world West Brom could break and score and put Liverpool out of it more or less altogether. so I was thinking oh god what's he doing just on that does, it, does John Actenberg have the actual say on that or is he well, uh, well James knows more I mean you've obviously spoken to him haven't you uh, yesterday I mean it, it was quite clear wasn't it in the post-match with Alisson that there was a bit of confusion it was just like well go on then you know let, let's see what happens and I mean, I think you've got to give credit, a lot of credit to Trent for the corner because, you know, he's under a lot of pressure. It's He knows as well that he's got to get that kick right and that delivery. And once again, you know, he's arguably saved Liverpool with that, the conviction on, on his corner kick. But, I mean, I've got to say, I know I'm sort of repeating what everybody else says. I mean, what a header. I mean, I said to James before on the phone, I mean, Stephen Gerrard scored a similar header in the Champions League final in 2005 where he's got to use his his neck and his head and twist it and get the trajectory. It's not easy to do that. I mean, I can't think of many better headers from a corner that I've seen, you know, in, in, in recent times, if, if I'm sure somebody listening might be able to point, you know, point one out, but it was an incredible header, you know, to, to execute it. Especially when Nat Phillips is coming right in front of him. He's got, and he's in a crowd of box as well. So it's not like I compared to 2005 there. It was, I suppose Steve, had a, a clear sight of the ball and was able to sort of attack it. It wasn't like that for Allison, So he showed a lot of bravery as well. I suppose if you're going to go up, you've got to throw your whole body at it, but it wasn't really like that, was it? It was more the technique around it. It was a technically a, an outstanding header. And, you know, I was just, I was just so pleased for him really, because I think over the last couple of months, he's got a little bit of stick, you know, for his form hasn't been great. Understandably, I think in light of, his personal circumstances, which which I think people have forgotten a little bit how hard that must be on him, 
you know, being away from his family in Brazil, not being able to grieve properly because of his dad's death, which in horrific circumstances as well. So how he's managed to get through that period, I don't know. But you could tell how delighted he was. I mean, I think that the, the thing that I really liked about the moment was, if you look at the faces of all the Liverpool players, you know, usually when Mo Salah scores, he's quite sort of calm and collected even amidst the madness. Mm. I think he likes to sort of take in and absorb the scenes around him. But the, all the players just totally lost their minds. If you look at Salah, I've never seen him as happy as that. You know, he was so happy. You know, Nat Phillips, you know, everyone was just piling on top of him. And it was a an amazing scene. It just, as you said, Steve, at the beginning, it just shows you that football can deliver the totally unexpected. I mean, I, I think it was the most dramatic ending to a game that I've ever seen. You know, you very rarely see a goalkeeper delivering that level of moments. I know people might point to Jimmy Glass at Carlisle. I think obviously that uh, <laughs> that was that was an incredible moment. I can't deny that. But in terms of, you know, sort of Premier League football, I can't think of many others. Late Liverpool moments for any any of you? Michael Owen, FA Cup final? Arigi? Yeah, that's on the same yeah. madness as this. Like the, you felt for a few days after that goal and still now if you watch that Arigi go back, you're just like, what the hell? <laughs> And this is this is that same feeling, but like right. on a, a scale even bigger. Yeah, would you say would you say uh, Sadio Mane at Villa? Can we, can we go on? <laughs> yeah, we can. Have, we excuse? can always have a bit of Villa, can't we? Uh, you've spoken with John Actorberg. We've had him on the on the podcast before. He's he's, he's brilliant, isn't he? He's very open and uh, he's talked about this moment. There's a great piece on the Athletic now um, with your interview with him. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> He doesn't even understand what's going to happen at that point, does he? But he does know the quality of the man and the difference he can make within that scenario, James. Yeah, I think I think when I spoke to John last night, he was saying that the main thought in his mind with, with sending him up there was more that he, he might just unsettle a few defenders and cause a bit of mayhem with his with his presence because you know you can imagine with an Allardyce team it's all very set in terms of who's picking up who and well drilled and I think it's fair to say that West Brom hadn't practiced who was gonna who was gonna pick up Allison in, in the 95th minute so yeah but he said you know he certainly wasn't expecting that they don't of course they don't practice heading he said maybe a bit of head tennis when they're playing keepy uppies before training starts but that's the extent of it so um, no I think John Acterberg was as amazed as the rest of us when just, just the ridiculous technique of it, the timing of the run, the timing of the jump, and then the execution of the header. And um, John Acterberg as well just rammed home, you know, what an immensely popular figure Alisson is for so many reasons, because, you know, he's he's so humble and down to earth. He's, you know, he's the epitome of a, of a team player. And you can just sense as well that, you know, the players and the staff have really, really felt for him in recent months, you know, as, as Simon touched upon there, you know, not being able to grieve, not being able to be with his close-knit family, and, you know, I, I thought he gave one of the most, you know, probably the one of the most memorable goals in Premier League history and probably a, a post-match interview that, that that's almost unsurpassed as well in terms of the emotion. And I think you can sense that, you know, the love and affection of everyone at the club has really helped him through such a difficult period. And, um, you know, and certainly his faith as well has, has, has helped him with that, with that grieving process. So, um, yeah, just a... I was just thinking before, it's just crazy, isn't it? Because, you know, but for that moment, you know, we'd be sat here today essentially doing an inquest into a season that that had ended with Europa League football. And you'd have to say, you know, failure to go from where Liverpool were to, to dropping into the Europa League. And, 
you know, it was, you know, you could spend all day picking holes in that performance in terms of, you know, to fail to put away a team that were already relegated when the stakes were so high to miss the chances they did. There were some issues there and they, you know, they looked so vulnerable as well defensively at times, Liverpool, a little bit of luck as well, you'd have to say with decisions, but in in one moment, all of that is forgotten, isn't it? That that would could well change though the course of history in terms of Jurgen Klopp's reign because I think you know win these last two, and and getting Liverpool back in a position to challenge for for top honours again next season will be a hell of a lot easier if if you're in the Champions League than outside it. You know I, I think back to Allison's save in the last couple of minutes against Napoli in the the final group game in December, 2018, and you think without that save. You know, there would have been no march to Madrid, no sixth European Cup, no Super Cup, no Club World Cup. And um, I think that, that that contribution to visit the other end of the pitch could could prove to be just as valuable. I can't believe a goalkeeper, Kiva, has, has never scored for Liverpool. When you in, in that amount of time, that is absolutely absurd, isn't it? I don't know whether that's a Jed Ray stat. He's a, the official club statistician, but um, it's incredible that Bruce Grobler or no one else have, has ever scored before. <laughs> yeah, when you think of all the goalkeepers, and there would have been so many moments when Liverpool have, you know, sent goalkeepers off. I'd, I'd love to know the number of times. That's a stat we should keep watch on from now on, just so we've got it in the bag for next time. But I think they mentioned on Sky last night that there was a goalkeeper who'd scored a few for Liverpool, but he played as an outfield player. So obviously it doesn't count really because you're outfield, not, you know, leaving your goal behind. But yeah, just crazy. And I think another thing people don't really think about Alisson's, you know, he's had such a difficult year losing his dad. But not only that, he's, he became a father again last week for the third time. A little boy, his wife uh, gave birth to, I think, Raphael, I think they might have called him, if I'm correct. Um, and I feel like people who've lost someone close to them will understand that when babies are born, it's a joyous thing, but it's also a really, you know, it can be a sad time as well because it brings up to the fore, those feelings that you're just starting to work through in terms of grief, it opens that door back up, even though you feel great. And I just feel like he deserved that so much, didn't he? And then when he spoke after the game, it was just, that was so powerful. You know, like James mentioned, his faith is just like, I want faith like that, you know, in something because he's just, I mean, I've got my faith in him definitely from now on. Like, I mean, we always have had his back, haven't we? And he's had Liverpool's for such a long time, but yeah, he's, he's such a, a special guy and to mention all that you know he mentioned Everton's letter to him and different different clubs and you know that he'd seen he'd seen God's love in them and it's like oh you know that's incredible like I, I was crying admittedly watching that just completely blown away by it. It was a great moment Si to emphasize sort of the love and unity within the team as well. I don't, I don't know whether this season when things have been going wrong whether people have questioned how unified they are but that was a moment that reminded me a little bit of like when Mo Salah scored against Manchester United and everyone came round and it was, yeah. you know, it was that it was that outpouring of collective love internally. Although all, all Liverpool fans would have felt it as well. Well, I think that I mean it had another player scored a header in those circumstances. I mean, obviously there would have been the celebrations. It was a late goal, a significant goal. But I do think there is a layer of. Well, it was Allison that scored, not just being the goalkeeper, but because of what he's been through on a personal level. You know, all the players will have, you know, been aware of that. And I'd imagine <laughs> will have admired his, his you know, commitment to Liverpool through that period because it would have been so easy just to go totally off the rails, really. I, I think, you know, in the middle of a pandemic as well, where, you know, you're not able to deal with things in a normal 
in a normal way. You know, there's a lot of people who are going through this. And that's why I just think there needed to be a little bit of leeway when people are sort of critiquing his performances because he's not going to be able to prepare for games in the way that he normally would. In terms of when he first came back into the team, I think he only missed one game. Did he miss one game, did he, when it, when his, his dad passed away? You know, it wouldn't have been easy to prepare for games. And then you get into a bit of a... His form has been a bit inconsistent. And I think that the players you could see we're just delighted for him, you know, more more than anything, really. Whether he's a goalkeeper, whether it's the last minute or not, but he'd he'd become, you know, the hero. And he's definitely up there with, you know, in terms of influential signings with along with Virgil van Dijk and Salah. You know, I think really, you know, I know Liverpool pays a lot of money for him, but he's been an incredible buy for Liverpool. And for me, you know, the best Liverpool goalkeeper of the last 30 years, as James touched upon there. I mean, I'll never forget that game against Napoli when he makes that impossible save. I mean, he, he does do impossible things on a football pitch. And I think as well, people sometimes need to remember that goalkeepers are always going to make mistakes. You know, they always make mistakes. Like Peter Schmeichel made loads of mistakes, but he was the best goalkeeper because he always reacted to them in the right way. And obviously, Alisson has a, a bit of an iffy moment at Old Trafford, but I think he recovered from that pretty well. You know, it's, it's always about how you react to situations. And I think his, his sort of mental fortitude is is really good. And I know he's had a tough season, but every Liverpool player has had a tough season. And I think he just showed just sort of what a character he is, really, by putting himself in that position and, and managing to do it. There is something, as, you know, Kiever and James have alluded to, there's something almost... Uh, divine about him isn't it like he just he's got this way about him where you just think good things are going to happen to you I don't know why you know when it comes to it and I remember the first time we met him James you know when we we sat down with him after he just signed and there's just something he's very calming presence isn't he you know very sort of doesn't seem to be get very flustered at all and he can be quite intense I think sometimes but uh, it does seem that in, in the confines of a dressing room you know I think he it's not like he's reading scripture from the corner of the dressing room and like sort of laying it on too heavy all the time. But I think I think he knows how to to sort of separate that and 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 be a big cornerstone of the of the team. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, remember the scenes when he won the Champions League. I mean, he, he was absolutely sozzled, wasn't he, on the bus? You know, enjoying his ale. I think that always goes down well, doesn't it, with Liverpool supporters and. He knows how to unwind, put it that way. Whoever has photoshopped him onto Christ the Redeemer on uh, on social media <laughs> has done a terrific yeah. job. It looks amazing, doesn't it? I suppose with moments like that, and I remember Aldo saying that in Istanbul, you know, names on the cup after Dudek has made his double save, a miraculous moment in itself. Do you feel that it's almost like your name's on the top four when you when you experience a moment like that, James? Do you think Thomas Tuchel thinks that? <laughs> well, I, that was the other thing. When I was driving back from the Midlands yesterday, you just think, what what does that goal do to the other teams in that race, doesn't it? Because, you know, you can imagine Chelsea and Leicester watching that and thinking, you know, thank God, you know, Liverpool have slipped up. It gives both of them breathing space you know, pretty much almost would have settled the, the the top four positions. And then, you know, that's an absolute hammer blow, isn't it? For Chelsea and Leicester in terms of cranks the pressure right up in terms of the stakes when, when they meet at, at Stamford Bridge on, on Tuesday night. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still, you know, I, I think that there was enough wrong with that performance on Sunday that the, when the kind of euphoria kind of does which I think probably will start to die down a little bit probably later today you you think actually there is a still a fair bit of hard work to be done and you know Allardyce came very close 
to spoil in the party. And then, and then you've got Sean Dyche, who I think we know there's not been particularly amount of love lost between him and Klopp um, in previous meetings. You know, how much would he absolutely love to wreck Liverpool's top four dream? And the same with Hodgson. It could be Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace farewell at Anfield next weekend. So, um, you know, it's it's two very winnable games, isn't it? And if you know, if if you'd offered Klopp this situation even two weeks ago, he'd have absolutely bitten your hand off. But there is still some work to be done. You think about iconic moments. Well, I think about Lovren's, you know, late winner against Dortmund, and that's probably not remembered as much as we probably thought it would be because Liverpool went on and lost the Europa League final. It didn't. It didn't actually lead to anything. So in the same way. You know, this has given Liverpool an amazing chance, but that's that's why I say I think the real value of that Allison goal we won't know until next. You know, when we're doing the next pod, because if Liverpool are in the Champions League this time next week, then you know, of course, that goal is is absolutely huge. But and it was interesting speaking to Akteberg because I was asking him, you know, what were the scenes like afterwards, and he said, well, obviously, you know, initially it was absolute euphoria, massive roar accompanying Allison's returned to the dressing room after he'd done all his media duties and, you know, the players looking on their phones and showing him all the funny gifts and everything else that, that people had done, you know, the, his face superimposed on Christ the Redeemer. And, but he said, you know, within half an hour, it was very much, you know, right. It's all about turf more on Wednesday because there's nothing, you know, Liverpool haven't won anything. There's nothing to, there's nothing to bask in the glory of yet. They've just kept themselves in the race. There certainly wasn't any wild, party on the on the coach but actually drove past the team coach on the m6 coming back last night and um it all looked pretty quiet on there yeah there's uh two big hurdles still to clear yeah james just said it was the patchy performance it was kiva but i suppose if you finish in that manner it just gives you a platform for the next game yeah it does i think um there was loads of those moments in the Man United game wasn't there but Liverpool you know that late goal from Salah sealed it when everyone was thinking here we go United are going to end up scoring it's going to be 3-3 Liverpool have needed those moments all season and it hasn't happened and I'm disagreeing with James here because we can't let this euphoria die we can't let it die later today you've got to keep it going let them uh, not be letting off any flares on the coach home, but, you know, Liverpool fans will be enjoying this one, I think, until, obviously, you know, Sean Dyche and, and all that is to come and Roy Hodgson as well, which is, I didn't really think of that, but that probably is his last game. And I think there's some kind of, obviously, history there anyway between him and Liverpool. But I think before, you know, the, the record began, didn't it, with, with that Crystal Palace defeat when Liverpool went unbeaten for so long. And then, obviously, we saw that just ripped ripped to pieces this season. So it'll be important that Liverpool, you know, continue this this winning run because last week, Steve, you know, you were asking us sort of about top four hopes. And, and I remember saying, they just need to show us that they've got something, that they're still capable of 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 just magic basically and that that's what they've shown us in the last two games and you know they're taking it down to the wire the the look and convincing more so in attack than than they have done in spells obviously there's a hole in the defense which we know about and you know van dyke will be back hopefully to to plug that soon but you know the the showing us signs that maybe you know it won't be a top four fight next season it will be you know fighting for the the premier league title because you know, this this half season has been been up and down, hasn't it? Um, but you know, Liverpool can, can it wouldn't shock me next season if they definitely going for the league just based on this because they need that to just be behind them now because you know just throwing it away and ending up finishing eighth or something would have 
I think been disastrous for the whole movement of of you know what Klopp's set in stone and everything that's gone on. To get top four would would be would be trophy like, I think. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall, James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill on the pod. Uh, let's talk Virgil van Dijk. Si, you've written about the fact that he's um, he's gone public uh, with his decision not to participate at the Euros. Obviously gone down very well with Liverpool fans. Yeah, I mean, listening to people who know a bit more about his, his recovery than I did or do, uh, I think it was always really going to arrive at this situation whereby he wouldn't be able to play in the Euros. I think for... For a long time, he pushed himself as hard. Well, I think I think when you're facing such a long-term injury, you have to believe you can get back as quickly as you can to get through those sort of early months when it seems like such a it's like such a long, long road. And I think that he, from what I can tell, he did believe that he could make the Euros. But a significant moment actually was last month when it it came out that the the Wolves fullback Johnny had. Uh, sustained uh, another injury on the same knee that he got injured in August. So he'd come back six and a half months when the time that most people advise is is nine months. So it was a warning that, okay, he could come back and play the Euros and not get injured. But at some point in the future, Johnny lasted two months before he got injured again in a training session. So, at some point in the future, there's every chance that he could sustain that injury once again. Oh, so you're saying it would increase his risk of a possible recurrence, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't like just because he gets back playing again, it doesn't mean the knee is is better, you know, and becomes stronger. There's always that risk. So in the end, uh, I, th- I think from the moment he was operated on, it was the end of November. So that would be the end of July, nine months where he'd be safe to start playing competitive matches again. So that's the earliest point, really, he should be aiming to play. So it was a cold sort of reality check that these are the risks. You know, he could be, in theory, sort of risking the rest of his career. When you think about his age, it could be another 12 months, another 18 months could be worse, you know. So I think when that happens, it was a real eye-opener to the the risks of of coming back too soon. So, and the, the other thing is as well, I mean, it's a difficult one for Holland, obviously, but there is another World Cup in 18 months' time. He'll be 31 then. You know, when you weigh everything up and you think, well, it's a European Championships played in what are quite frankly weird circumstances where the stadiums are still going to be half empty at best. You know, there's a chance that the next World Cup in Qatar, if Holland qualify, you know, they're hoping for, a, you know, a proper World Cup, if you like. So, all these things weighed in, you know, with Liverpool thrown into the mix as well, you know, what that could mean. You know, I think he he probably thinks that over the next couple of years, as Kiva suggested, you know, Liverpool have had a disappointing season. It was threatening to be a bad one. It could be all right in the end if they do qualify for the Champions League, given everything that's happened. In fact, it'd be better than all right. I think it, it's a minor miracle, really, when you think that the amount of injuries that they've had, including Van Dijk. So, He'll want to go back and play next season. Uh, there was one. There was one big, big thing I, that I took from the interview that he gave LFC TV, where he he spoke about the presence of the fans and how much he's missed that. And I think that's significant in his thinking as well. You know, he wants to be able to to get that sense of adrenaline. You know, when he's waiting to play, and so missing out on the European Championships in these circumstances isn't the hardship that it might seem, albeit, you know, let's not forget he hasn't played um, 
in a major international tournament for Holland, yeah, and he's he's going to be in his thirties by the time he does that. But I think that again reflects the career that he's had, the, the sort of you know late development. Ridiculous season for injuries, and you know that now we see Diogo Jota missing for the last three games. Barely believable, is it? Or last two? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jota. You know, Klopp. I asked Klopp afterwards whether Jota was in any danger of missing the Euros, and he said you know, it was almost too soon to say. He said he'd be in a protective boot for the next for the next fortnight at least, and then he'll be be reassessed. Um, yeah, when you throw into the mix, you know, we won't see Ozan Kabak again this season either. You know, I think you were looking at nine or ten players missing at the weekend, and it is you know that that that's why I think if Liverpool can go on and win these last two and and finish. Well, possibly even third, but certainly certainly fourth. I think it would be right up there with anything Klopp has, has achieved. You know, I know I know there's no trophy at the end of it, but you know, it's it is crazy that that they're even they're even still in the mix with everything that he's he's had to contend with on and off the pitch this season. So yeah, you know, people say to me, "Oh, you know, we're not concerned. They look so vulnerable defensively against West Brom." And you're like, "Well, what do you expect?" You know, that's. If you'd said back in September, you know, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, that was probably Liverpool's sixth and seventh choice centre-back. So, yeah, it's it's far from ideal, but they've somehow managed to to claw their way back into it. And, um, yeah, it's it's just now about, you know, trying to trying to get over that line and they've, they've given themselves a, a fantastic chance. It's the Red Agenda and um, there's a brilliant piece online that the lads have written looking at the treble season, which was incredibly 20 years ago. That's enough to make you feel a bit old. But uh, yeah, the 20th anniversary of Liverpool uh, taking that treble, which was just a remarkable, remarkable and long season. So um, James and Si, you'll remember it clearly. James, you spoke to a whole host of people who were involved. Yeah, yeah, me and Sai kind of divvied that up. So we think, yeah, it must be about a dozen interviews, I think, all in kind of telling the story of of that season and what came down to an extraordinary week when you think, you know, I can't think of many better weeks in my life being a Liverpool fan than that the middle of May in 2001 with, you know, winning the FA Cup on the Saturday, winning the UEFA Cup on the on the Wednesday and then qualifying for the Champions League for the first time on the on the following weekend. So, uh, yeah, 63 game season. You know, I think Phil Thompson said it. You know, he, he said, you know, some some fans of other clubs almost dismissed it as a as a poor man's treble. But he said, you know, it was it was anything but. What we did that season was was incredible. You know, no Liverpool team has ever ever done that before. No team has done it since. And yeah, I think as I I'm sure found the same when when we were doing the interviews. Just that was like for for the vast majority of that team, that was the absolute time of their lives. You know, that was you know a few of them kind of said you just almost expected it to the good time to just keep on rolling and rolling. It's only, you know, when you look back on it now that you, you realise, you know, it was absolutely unprecedented. And that, you know, the final against Alavez, that was actually my first big final I went to as a fan. And um, I, and I've always thought that like that, that final, it, you know, but for Istanbul would, would get talked about a hell of a lot more than it does. It was just almost unfortunate that, you know, you, you, you know, you win a European final five, four with a golden goal, three minutes away from penalties and you think, well, that's never ever going to get beaten. And then, and then the miracle of Istanbul comes so soon after, but, um, but yeah, and I think, you know, especially the anniversary, especially poignant as well this year, the fact that you know, we lost Gerard Houdier back in, back in December. So I think, you know, a lot of the kind of a love and affection from the staff and the players for him as well shines through in that piece. 
the European run that Liverpool went on that season was nothing short of incredible side. Because you look at the teams that they beat, there's a, a line in the piece that you guys have written where it says the Spanish press accused Gerard Houllier of betraying football. <laughs> now, I, I remember thinking at the time, they weren't always the greatest team to watch, but actually they knew how to get results. I think Gerard Houllier made Liverpool, I have to be careful how I wear this, but a serious football club again, a serious competitor again. You know, particularly on the European scene. I mean, Liverpool hadn't won a European trophy since '85, so it was a long time, you know, for, for Liverpool to wait. They hadn't won any trophy since since '95, which was the League Cup. So the the preceding decade was was really disappointing. Obviously, they went close under Roy Evans. I mean, let's not Roy Evans' team played some amazing football in the mid '90s, but they ultimately they, they, they didn't have the steel to go. Um, win the biggest trophies that which the club demands. When Gerard Houllier came in, it was a totally different sort of mindset, really, and almost played a more British style of football, if you like, under a French manager. A mixture of English players, French players, German players. And they, they became, you know, a formidable outfit again, Liverpool. Um, and nobody liked playing against them. I mean, the one thing that... that um, a couple of the players said to me was, he said, obviously that the style wasn't always like sort of, it certainly wasn't, you know, what we've seen under Jürgen Klopp, but they always had the players at the top end of the pitch, you could score goals. So Liverpool still scored a lot of goals under Gerard Houllier. I mean, his belief was that as long as you've got a, a couple of players on the pitch, you know, they'd always play 4-4-2, always have two top, top quality strikers. You're always going to have a chance that you might, you're going to score. And, you know, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, Emil Heskey, Yari Lippmann and, you know, top players had two players in every position and two, you know, two really good players in every position. There wasn't really a weak link in the team. So they became a really horrible team to play against, but a team that could punish you as well. So there's always this sort of misplaced sense of purity when it comes to some of the Spanish clubs, I think. And Liverpool took great delight in going to the new camp and, uh, and stinking the place out, which I think there's there's definitely room for that in football, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, the one thing that I remember, I spoke to Jamie Carragher for the piece, and he said the moment that really made him realise that Liverpool were back as a club, a serious football club again, was, was that win in Rome uh, when they went to the Olympic Stadium and won 2-0 against a team that was just about to become the the Italian champions for the first time in, in, in decades. I remember he said he, he got into the hotel, uh, he was rooming with Michael Owen and he said he opened the, the curtains and opened the window, got some air into the room and you know, it was a great Roman afternoon, warm weather and somewhere in the distance he could just hear the Liverpool fans singing and he said, that, you know, if we win here, this is us, you know, we're back. And he went and won, you know, great performance away. Best, you know, one of the best, if not the, well, the best striker in the world at the time, Michael Owen, absolutely ruthlessly punishing a very, very, very good Roma team. And um, from that point onwards, I, I just thought, you know, they're going to be difficult to stop this season. I mean, it was it was probably three-fifths of the way through the season when Liverpool won that game. And they had a couple of bumps along the road between then and the end of the season. But, but they were just, it was just exhausting. It was an exhausting period being a, a supporter watching the team because there was games like every, it felt like every two days, he just recovered from one game as a fan. Then it was like the next game, you know, it was a, it was an incredible period. And, you know, to go and win those, those three trophies, I know it wasn't the trophies that everybody would demand, but it was the period that put Liverpool back 
on the European map again. I think it can't be underestimated how important achievements winning those cup competitions were. It was a remarkable season, James. And we mentioned the Michael Owen goal before, and that, that was an incredible winner um, at the Millennium Stadium when they got battered by Arsenal, effectively. And a great job that VAR wasn't involved then because <laughs> Stefan Honcho wouldn't have been on the pitch, would he? Um, but, but there was those moments in that season. Gary McAllister's goal, of course. Which, which is again, that's that's a defining moment, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and it, it was interesting speaking to the different players had their own kind of moment when they felt that the incredible momentum kind of stemmed from, and 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 some of them said it was the League Cup final against Birmingham that Liverpool, you know, made painfully hard work of winning that trophy. Others pointed to the Gary McAllister, you know, last gasp free kick at at Goodison, and I think yeah, Phil Thompson, I think he he felt that that was. That was a real, a real, real big one. Because I, I think, you know, that was one of the images of the season, wasn't it? Gerard Houdier's face when that ball hit the net. Because, you know, I, in, until I look back, you know, I'd, I'd forgotten the fact that Liverpool were down to 10 men as well. And Everton had been given a, a very debatable penalty by Jeff Winter. And I think it, and Liverpool had, had, had lost to... Uh, <laughs> That's controversial, James. Yeah, it wasn't a penalty, was it? It was a hippie on Ooh. Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, it was, a bit, it, was, it was a bit of a wrestling ah. move, wasn't it? But I think... I think I, th- I think Liverpool got away with some of them at uh, Goodison Park after that, didn't right. they? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, 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 that's, that's quite all right. The, um, it was interesting listening to Robbie Fowler talking about how he, he, it's always kind of hurt him, the fact that he was denied a few really big moments. Like he, you know, he scored that incredible goal against Birmingham in the League Cup final and then Liverpool conceded in the last minute. They end up winning on penalties. So, you know, the feeling is his goal isn't remembered as much as it would be. Similarly, you know, he came off the bench in Dortmund, scored that amazing goal to put Liverpool 4-3 up against Alaves. Again, he's seconds away from being the hero. And then and then Liverpool nod off at a corner and, and Jordi Cruyff makes it 4-4. And, and and I think the other thing, yeah, for some of those players as well, like, you know, they, they, at the time they probably thought it would just keep on rolling. But I think Sander Westerveld, I think he only played three or four games for Liverpool after that. You know, he played an important part in that historic treble, yet within a couple of months, Houllier had brought in Dudek and Chris Kirkland and and he was he was on his way. And you know, even speaking to someone like Marcus Babel, who that was his first season as a Liverpool player. And I think, you know, a few of them mentioned how important his signing was in terms of instilling a winning mentality, having come from you know such a successful background at Bayern. Yet, you know, he he had this, you know, horrendous Guillain Barr syndrome, which left him in a wheelchair within months of winning that treble and, you know, was, was out for a year and was never quite the same player. So um, th- that was a special Liverpool team that, and um, yeah, quite rightly, I think this week there'll be a lot of attention on what they did. Cause you know, yeah, it was, it, 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 and it, you, you could tell as well, it was, it was where the, the cultures were, were kind of still clashing, weren't they? Between the traditional kind of English way of celebrating victories and then Houdier with his continental methods and, and discipline and, Diddy Haman saying he had to find a very quiet corner of the hotel after Alaves to to be able to have a few beers because Hulier had, had warned them on no account could they ever drink and and then Fowler saying that after they beat Charlton four 0 to to secure the Champions League spot getting the coach driver to stop off at the Sainsbury's next to the Valley to fill the coach up with with wine and beer for the journey back so yeah as a, a really incredible period in Liverpool's history that deserves to be remembered. Tinny's on the way home. Uh, great piece by the lads. Check it out now. It's on the site, uh, talking all about the treble season 20 years ago. Uh, let's finish the Red Agenda today with um, a look at the new Liverpool women's manager. 
So they've got a new boss, not quite brand new. He's been there before and had success. Kiva, is it a good choice? Who is it? Yeah, Matt Beard has returned to the club after six years away. It's a good choice in terms of going for a manager who's won one silverware at the club before. Sorry, my dogs are just kicking off at the postman. Approval from the dog. Sorry, they hate the postman and it's his time. He's here. I spotted him like the red mist coming down the road. I was like, oh no, he's going to come and I'm just going to be chatting. But yeah, no, so... Basically, you know, Matt had six years away from Liverpool. He won back-to-back titles at the club in 2013 and 2014. And the 2014 one was, well, they were both remarkable, but that was on, on the final day. Liverpool went from third to, to first to win it. Um, and then, you know, we know the struggles that have sort of unfolded after that on, on Liverpool. They're now playing championship football. I think they've gone for a solid option. Someone who was who was linked immediately, um, you know, Vicky Jepson left the club on January 12th. You know, my understanding is it was that was a decision made in December. Um, so the club had a lot of time to think about this. They had 160 applications, you know, wow. a, a lot of top top coaches out there applying for that job and they've sort of settled on on the favourites almost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in his time away from Liverpool, you know, he, he went to Boston Breakers. Um, that was an experience which, you know, would, would have gave him quite, quite a bit in terms of, you know, being a manager. But, you know, the club ended up folding um, struggling financially to, to get a new owner and, and that was that of his American dream and then you know he, he he came back to England got a job with with West Ham women and you know done all right um he left there in November last year and um, he got to the FA Cup final with them I think they lost to Manchester City but you know that was a, a great achievement it was viewed as and then he, he took over Bristol City in the hopes of of keeping them up um in the WSL but but failed to do that on the final day with defeat. But you know, to get that, that was almost viewed as a as an achievement as well because he he, he managed to get them. You know, it's still in the running for for survival on the final day, um, and he got them to a, a continental cup final as well. So you know, he, he's a coach definitely who's who's got bits in his locker, and he'll be hoping to to draw on those experiences. But I think it's more about now is his vision for the future and you know I think the funding's massive for Liverpool Liverpool need to step it up I know um, the last account show that they've increased the funding by 21% over you know the last the last year or so so there's positive steps in the right direction but still you know a lot needs to be a lot needs to be done there and he's, he's got a massive summer ahead of him in terms of rebuilding the squad almost it, it's not a massive rebuild he's got ahead of him but he's got to replace you know probably Rinsola Babajide who's the star player for Liverpool's likely going to be leaving. You wouldn't know how many other players are, are looking with a, a view to move. But yeah, it's um, certainly an exciting time because it feels like a new beginning. And, you know, Liverpool need to be back in the WSL watching Chelsea in the Champions League final last night. You know, it wasn't so long ago Liverpool were playing their first season in the Champions League and, you know, the mighty have fallen almost. So to get back there, I think, would be amazing. We wish uh, Matt well. And of course, there's plenty more on that in the piece that uh, Kiva has written. Many thanks to uh, to Kiva, James and Sai, as always, uh, on the Red Agenda. And of course, uh, when we're back next week, we'll have a clearer idea of how things pan out on the first team front. It's a big week ahead. Uh, we'll catch up with you then. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.